Good morning. <clears throat> hey, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, thanks for the kind words, Andy. And uh, yeah, really excited to be here to uh, represent PM crew up here. So, so yeah, there we go. Awesome. Um, but yeah, happy Mother's Day. And um, yeah, what a great Great time to be together, um, to see everyone. Uh, every time we do one of these all-summit gatherings, I'm just reminded of how few people I actually know anymore, uh, which, is, which is amazing, right? Because it means God's moving, people are coming, they're, they're being incorporated into this family, um, and this is just a really special thing that we have going here, and this is really special to, um, to be here this morning and be able to share with you guys. Um, yeah, so my name is Brian Turney. I'm one of the pastors. Um, Andy kind of explained why, you know, you probably don't know who I am. Uh, you know, I don't work here. I'm not on stage all the time. I was trying to think of a good illustration, and I probably shouldn't go down this path, but I'm going to anyway. Um, given the whole new Marvel movie up, I was kind of thinking of like, okay, how do I describe the relationship I have with kind of the other pastors? And we're kind of, the, let me also put this disclaimer out. This is not theologically sound or anything like that. So don't, don't go too far into this. But if we think about our pastoral team as the Avengers and um, Brian Barley's probably Iron Man, Andy's Captain America, Justin's definitely Thor. Um, then I'm kind of like Ant-Man, maybe? Uh, so, you know, equally responsible, equally part of the team. Just not quite as much uh, screen time, I guess. So, <laughs> hopefully that makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, also, shrinking into the size of an ant is a really weird superpower. But it would be really cool, um, you know, to get out of meetings or awkward conversations. You know, poof, and then just jet or... Um, if I screw up the sermon, I could just shrink and get out of here. But um, anyway, sorry. Yeah, off to a great start. Um, so yeah, we're going to keep this really short and really simple. Um, we've got a lot to do this morning, a lot of things to celebrate. We're going to do a bap- baptism and parent commissioning. We're going to worship. Um, and so it's just a good morning. And so I'm, I'm not going to take too much of our time. If this goes more than 15 minutes, something has gone horribly wrong. Um, but uh yeah, we're going to look at Mark 10 um, and just kind of go verse by verse. We've been going through the book of Mark. We're going to rewind a little bit. We're actually in Mark kind of 11, I think is what uh, Brian preached last Sunday. And um, yeah, we're going to rewind, step back, and just take a look at this really small passage, but really important and really meaningful to see how Jesus is a help for the helpless. Um, and uh, I think that's something that we all need, whether you recognize that now or not. Um, and so, yeah, if you don't mind, if you could open up the, the Bible um, with me, if you've got one. Again, we've got them on tables all around. Go ahead and grab one. But we're in Mark chapter 10, um, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. And so if you'll look down with me, we'll just read verse 13 and then just go from there. So verse 13 says, um, And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. So um, Jesus is just kind of hanging out with his disciples. They've been on this kind of whirlwind tour. um, And they've no doubt found found this kind of gap of time to just kind of rest and relax. And um, we see that they were bringing children 
to Jesus in order to be touched and blessed by him. And um, the author, Mark, is pretty vague here about what they is, but I think you could kind of imagine um, maybe parents or mothers uh, and kind of packing up their kids, traveling some amount of distance to bring their kids to Jesus. They had probably heard stories and, and heard rumors and heard things about the miracles and the healings, the things that this man was saying. There was something special about Jesus and you moms know how hard it is to pack up the kids and get everything ready, make sure you have snacks and everything and toys and whatever, change of clothes, and you, um, you know, and you leave the house and you go. And so you can imagine that these parents are bringing their kids um, to see Jesus because they wanted that kind of special interaction. They wanted some piece of Jesus for their children. And then we see the disciples' response, and it's really harsh. So um, it's, it sounds kind of like when um, like an elementary school kid or a middle schooler gets kind of a special privilege, like hall monitor or safety officer or something, and it goes completely to their head, right? They like go way overboard, and they're like blowing whistles and citing people and giving tickets, and you're like, dude, be cool, man, just chill. Like, um, the disciples seem kind of like that. They've, they've been in close quarters with Jesus. They've learned directly from him. They've gotten to experience this amazing relationship with the Son of God. And yet they rebuke these kids. They, they harshly kind of attack and push away and drive away these parents and the kids and the people that were bringing their kids to him. And so you see that you know, once again, and this is kind of a theme that we've seen over and over in the book of Mark, and is that while they have this kind of close proximity to Jesus, somehow the disciples, and, and we identify with this too, have completely missed kind of the core, the, 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 the message, the heart of who Jesus is and what his ministry and movement is about. And so the word rebuke here is really interesting because it's actually used um, in a couple other instances in the book. Um, and, yeah, in fact, it's used in chapter 9, the previous chapter, when Jesus rebukes an unclean spirit to come out of a boy. And so if that gives you a picture of just how kind of cruel or harsh or just crazy the disciples were in driving these people away, I found that kind of fascinating. Um, at the same time, you know, we can identify with the disciples, we can kind of see, um, you know, they probably had some decent justifications for why. Um, you know, they were trying to protect Jesus, protect his time. You know, they were probably thinking, you guys don't belong here. You're a distraction. You're an annoyance. Step away from Jesus. You aren't approaching him correctly or you aren't wearing the right thing. All of these things, whatever it was, you know, there are things that this wasn't the last time some follower of, of Jesus has said to someone else, right? You know, it's like these are things that, unfortunately, the church kind of has become known for in kind of the larger culture of driving people away, of, of being a barrier rather than ushering people in to relationship 
with Jesus. And it, and it highlights our own propensity, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Um, but as humans, um, to just get carried away, to build barriers, to make it about us versus them. And, and we see that Jesus has not, will have none of that. And he swiftly responds. And we'll take a look here at the next verse and see how he does respond. So if you look back at the, the scripture in verse 14. It says, sorry, I lost my bookmark. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And we'll read the next verse 15. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so Jesus' response is that he's indignant. He's angry. The definition, and I had to look this up, of indignant is um, feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. So Jesus was angry at the way that the disciples were mistreating um, these children and the people that were bringing them. And so he tells them to stop, to allow the children to come to him, while also using it as a teaching moment. And um, we'll spend some time on this, because I think what Jesus says here is really fascinating, um, and it's really important for how we comprehend Jesus, how we think about the kingdom of God, how we think about salvation, and what it means to follow Jesus. He says, um, not only that the kingdom belongs to people such as these children, but also whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Um, As Andy mentioned, I have two young kids, uh, Charlie and Zoe. And uh, if you're a parent of a young child, you probably have a very different perspective of what it means to enter the kingdom of God like a child. So um, you know, so maybe you're thinking, okay, so to enter the kingdom of God, I need to be like a child. So I need to be and act like a crazy little drunk person. Got it. Um, no, <laughs> so, you know, don't listen to anything anyone says. Wake up at all hours of the night. Um, use the toilet if you want to or don't. It doesn't really matter. Um, you know, like, it's just a different experience when you're a parent of a young child than when you kind of view it from the outside. Um, this has nothing to do with anything, but I'm going to tell you how crazy kids are. Um, so we, we actually are expecting another baby in November, our third, which is really exciting. Thank you. Um, and so I was putting Charlie and Zoe to bed <clears throat> like two nights ago. And Zoe asked, does the baby have a... We were praying for the baby, and she asked, does the baby have a name? And I said, no. And I said, but what should we name it? And so Charlie, who is three and a half, he chimed in. He says, I think we should call it Lobster. (laughs) Or as he says, Wobster. Let's call him Wobster. And I said, why? Because it'd be cool if he had pinchers. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so... Kids, crazy. Um, <laughs> anyway, there, but there are a lot of good, virtuous qualities that we associate with children, whether it's innocence or purity, kind of a, a carefree or worry-free attitude or kind of a, a, a contentedness where they could play with a cardboard box and be totally happy for like three hours. Um, there's a lot of really good things within children 
um, that I think Jesus could be referring to. But I think, um, and this helped me, to get to the heart of what it feels like Jesus is talking to, it's important to have some historical context, I think. So if we go back into kind of the day and age that this was written in kind of ancient Jewish society, it's important to understand that um, kind of a, a child standing within culture was unfortunately similar to that of a woman at the time. So they were kind of seen as little more than second-class citizens. They were kind of more property than person, and, and their value was pretty much who they belong, based on who they belonged to rather than as kind of a, a human or an individual or, you know, a child of God kind of thing. Um, and so kids were overlooked. Um, they were disregarded by pretty much everyone, except, as we see here, Jesus. Um, and while a lot of those things that we talked about, innocence and being carefree, are really good, perhaps Jesus was more commending the children on what they lacked or what they didn't have rather than the virtues or qualities that they did have. Right? So in, in any other scenario during this time, outside of Jesus' movement, the disciples' behavior, the way they acted, the way they pushed them away, where they scolded them, would have been completely acceptable. But Jesus steps in and he stands up for these overlooked children because the kingdom of God runs counter to the culture and it demonstrates a better way to live. Um, And so these children, they represented the poor and the powerless. They represented the helpless, the weak, the least of these. And as it turns out, that, that, that helplessness, that powerlessness is what is required to find salvation in Jesus and enter into the kingdom of God. It's a, a confession that we can't do life on our own, that we need Jesus to step in and show us the way. And it isn't so much that we become those things that, you know, at one point we're strong and then we decide, okay, I'm going to be helpless and weak. Rather, it's that we're there already and that we simply need to recognize it. Um, and as I thought about an example for this, I thought about personality assessments. So, um, and hopefully this helps. Hopefully. Um, so like Andy said, I work for a tech company up in Boulder and our team uses assessments, like personality assessments, like the Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders. I don't know if you guys have heard those. Um, we use them a lot to just kind of figure out company culture and how our team fits together and all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm an INFP for any of you Myers-Briggs people out there. Uh, (laughs) And my top five strengths are uh, ideation, strategic, adaptability, belief, and connectedness. So there you go. Um, But so before working at my company, I was pretty anti-personality assessment, right? It was like, don't label me, bro. I don't want to be put in a box. You can't tell me, you know, who I am and what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to act. Like, I'm unique. I'm a child of God. I've created unique, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? And so it's, um, I, yeah, I was like, no, I don't want to do this stuff. But as, as I was kind of made to by my boss, um, uh, the, the value of these things really started to dawn on me, right? So it's like, it's not that these assessments are forecasting and telling me what I'm going to become or making me into something that I'm not already. What they're helping me do is recognize 
the unique gifts and strengths and things that I can bring to the table as an employee of this company and as this team. Um, and putting a name or putting a label on those things helped me kind of see, okay, this is why I hate doing these things. This is why I love doing these things. This is how I can contribute to the whole and kind of thrive and flourish in my job. And I think it's the same way because um, kind of like, um, you know, in the assessment of life, you know, sooner or later, something's going to come along, whether it's disease or some natural disaster or some accident that we can't help, some relationship that turned our back on us, a job layoff, whatever, whatever these things are, all of a sudden things unexpectedly come and kind of punch us in the face. Um, and we're kind of left realizing that, oh, maybe I don't have as much control or as much power or as much influence as I kind of led myself to believe up until this point. And so rather than kind of coming to that realization, but then continuing to kind of scratch and claw and fight for every kind of bit or ounce of control or influence that we can grab to make ourselves feel better, to kind of remind ourselves that, okay, I'm not as helpless and weak and lost as I kind of thought I was. Um, the correct response is to, like a child asking to be held by her mother, to surrender our lives to Jesus, where true power and true hope and true control and true sovereignty and true peace are actually found. As we look at the next verse, verse 16. We'll just wrap it up with this. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. And I just love the picture that's painted in this verse. Um, of Jesus taking the children who had previously been rejected by the disciples, taking them in his arms, looking them in the eyes, blessing them, loving them. And it's such a glimpse of the fierce love that Jesus has for us, for his people, for the helpless, the weak, the lost, the broken. This is the, the God of the universe who became man. To love, who's, who, who came to love, and to save us by dying on the cross on behalf of our sins, rising again from the grave to, to, to grant us victory over sin and over death. And, um, oh gosh, yeah, this verse, it's just so powerful. And I hope that that's not lost kind of in the midst of all of this, just kind of dwelling on that, that verse. I hope, I hope you just kind of rest in that, the, the compassion and affection that Jesus has for these children is the same compassion and affection that he has for each of us. And that's just a really <laughs> kind of mind-blowing reality um, to kind of consider. And I want to, before we kind of wrap up, we're kind of nearing the end, I want to revisit the disciples one more time. Because um, I'm, so I'm very kind of visual and kind of think through these things. And so as I read these, I try to picture what's going on. And I just want to picture like what, Picture the disciples right now, you know, as Jesus is kind of holding these kids and blessing them. You know, what, what are they feeling? <laughs> what, are they, 
what do they look like? Because I would think that they're probably um, a little embarrassed. They probably feel a little stupid, kind of scolded um, by Jesus demonstrating just a different mentality than they were even considering. Um, they, they, they missed the point, right? They missed it again. They missed the point of Jesus' movement. Um, but Jesus will extend his grace to them um, and everything will be fine. But I can't help but think that, and not the stupid part, but I think the church, our church, is in a similar position where for those of us that whose lives have been saved and changed by Jesus, you know, he's brought us into his family, we're in a really similar position as the disciples were in this scene where we stand um, alongside him as representatives of the kingdom of God. And I just, we kind of have two options, right? Like we can be, as people approach, we can be a barrier um, to them coming and, and knowing Jesus, or we can usher them in and bring them closer to Jesus. And I think that's just a really powerful thing to think about. It's a, kind of a weighty thing to think about. Um, but I want us to, to carry that that role, that responsibility, that idea with us as we think about the people of our city from um, the CEOs and the government officials to the homeless, to the single mothers, to the, the, the refugees, the, the ones that are overlooked by most everyone. What are we going to do differently? How are we going to represent Jesus? Because all of those people that from the high end to the low end of the spectrum all are broken all are helpless, all are in need of a compassionate and loving and saving Savior. And um, I think some just hide it better than others. And um, yeah, what an opportunity that, that God's granted us to be a part of that um, and to, to kind of, instead of block people from Jesus, help kind of draw them closer to him. Um, yeah. So we're going we're gonna to worship some more. Like I said, we're going to do parent commissioning. We're going to do baptism. It's, just a, it's a really simple truth that we're broken, helpless, needy, and weak. That life is going to beat us down, but we have a Savior who um, is our strength. And he's our help. He's our hope. Um, I think that's what I want to resonate with, with you guys as we go forward and as we take time to reflect and worship. Um, to kind of wrap it all up from how we ought to carry ourselves in light of the grace that Jesus has extended to us, but also just a reminder of what Jesus went through to become helpless and weak on our behalf and humbling himself to become a baby, to become a man, um, to die on the cross on our behalf. Um, I just want to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's a classic it's so good, though. Um, and so I'm going to read that, and I'll pray. We're going to worship some more and just keep, keep celebrating what Jesus has done for us. And, and yeah, it's good. So feel free to close your eyes as I read this um, and just kind of meditate on the words. And then we'll just can keep going. Um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pray with me. God, you're good and you're gracious. Thank you for this time. I thank you for the men and women, the children that are in this room, and God, the stories that you're writing in each of our lives, God, and the way that you've united us through um, your cross and in your spirit, God, and we um, and we just read stuff like this, God. I pray that we're humbled, God, that we realize our complete and utter dependence on you and in your power, God, that um, life is messy and hard, and we were never meant to try and figure it out alone. Um, God, we're in desperate need of you. I pray that you would just make yourself known, make yourself present. Jesus, um, yeah, help this truth just ring out with us as we go about our lives and we think about the people that you've put in front of us. God, the, the level of compassion, the grace, the mercy that you extend to the people around you. Let us be, let, let the same thing be said about us as a people, as a church. God, you are help for the helpless. You've come for the poor and the powerless. God, I just pray that we, that would just be real in our lives, that um, we can rejoice in that and share that with others. I pray now as we worship and reflect, help us consider these things and um, God, just continually change us. Mold us into your image. Conform us to you, Jesus. and um, Show us how to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.